Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Newkirk. Sean, it's been a minute, but uh, glad to be back. How are you doing today? Good, good. You know, I was just thinking earlier, uh, man, it's five, wait, no, it's six years now for me of doing this, and, and I came on pretty shortly after you, so I mean, we've, man, we've been doing this for a little while now, huh? Maybe not the podcast, but just, you know, being on the site. Yeah, yeah, I wonder when we're, if we're at the point where we've uh, worn out our welcome. <laughs> But it's been yeah, it's been a good run. I mean, we came kind of just as the team got good, and we've kind of stayed on even as the team's gotten bad. So we've seen the best of times and the worst of times. We're not well. I mean, so baseball six years you have free agency, right? So I'm not sure (laughs) where are we free agents? Are we being non tendered? I'm not sure. Have you hired Scott Boris? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. uh, that's the way I do it. Uh, Also joining us, who's also been here since uh, 2014, is Matthew Lamar. Uh, Matthew, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. The real question is, how are you doing, Royals Retro? <laughs> that's a that's a blast from the past. Uh, yeah, sure is. Uh, I, I was it was it was funny when I when I kind of signed up to be the editor. Uh, they were like, "Well, you should probably go by your real name." <laughs> like, uh, I you know, I didn't know because that I kind of like the anonymity of having a handle. I, I like that's I'm sure most people do. That's why they don't go into their real names. And uh, uh, I remember that. When I revealed my real name, there's like a couple of people that didn't believe that was my name. It's like that's come on, that's got to be like a, a moniker or a pseudonym or something. <laughs> so, yeah, that's and we were what you were um, musician forty two. That's my email. I oh, was that's Yodazilla. right. Oh, that's right, Yodazilla. And then yeah, uh, I had no idea. And Sean, you I just were tied or something, you right? Literally, like two weeks ago, I had no idea that was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sean, Sean, you were what Casey Tiger fan or something like that? Casey Tiger for a little while, yeah. I used okay. to be. I mean, I'm still a Mizzou fan, but that was back in my my prime Mizzou fan days. Yeah, yeah. Well, great great memories when we were anonymous uh, commenters, just causing trouble on, I guess back then, uh, Will's site uh, back in the day on on Royals. I don't. Do you, do you guys remember Royals Nightly? That was the first site that that Will started that became eventually co opted by SB Nation. No, that was before my time. Yeah, before your time, that, that's that's old school. If anyone's from those days, uh, they they know. But uh, yeah, it's been a good been a good six years, and uh, you know we've got we went definitely had a weird season this year. It was the twenty twenty season is is behind us, uh, and I think for a lot of reasons, it's a season many of us would like to forget. But there were you know the Royals did make some improvements on the field. They did finish twenty six and thirty four, which I think was kind of interesting. That's exactly what Zips projected them to do uh, at the beginning of the season. Uh, and you know, at Royals Review, you go to Royals Review right now, you'll see uh, kind of player by player capsules of 
how they did this season. Um, but I thought we'd kind of look back and, and give out some awards, uh, who did well, who didn't do well, kind of sum up the season. So I guess we should probably start with who was the most valuable player on the Royals. Matthew, who do you have as Royals 2020 MVP? Yeah, so this is kind of boring if you just take it by wins above replacement. Um, if you did that simply by wins above replacement, then Salvador Perez would be the most valuable player. But I think if you're thinking about a MVP award that we're giving out for sort of um, uh, random and not totally serious reasons, I think that the MVP for me um, is actually Brady Singer. Um, and the reason why I say that is because um, Brady Singer basically played like a two and a half win pitcher um, prorated, you know, over a full season um, right out of the gate. And there were a lot of uh, reasonable criticisms of Singer's ability to stay and stick as a starting pitcher um, regarding his changeup. And early on, you know, for a while, um, lefties um, were hitting Singer pretty hard. And that was because, you know, Singer didn't quite have that changeup. But as he has sort of shown in his professional, his very short professional career in the minor leagues, where at every stop he's been at, he's sort of had an acclimation period. Um, and then he had a period where he just started to excel um, after, you know, eight starts or so. Um, and it happened here and he really hit his stride. And, um, you know, if if he can basically be a two and a half win pitcher just with those two pitches, um, you know, that's, that's a really good thing to just have from a starting pitcher. Like I don't remember the last time the Royals had a starting pitcher who was, um, you know, relatively uh, well regarded in the prospect world. And he was considered a, a top prospect and he came up and guess what? He just performed like right out of the gate. And that's what Brady Singer did. And for, you know, I, th I think there are other more talented pitchers in the system. I think maybe eventually Chris Bubich could be better than Singer. I think really uh, Kowar Lynch or Lacey are the ones that have higher ceilings than Singer does, certainly. But, you know, for the face of the sort of next wave of pitching prospects, Singer had, you know, he did everything that you could reasonably ask of him to do. Um, in such a short, weird season where he was facing the same teams over and over again. At one point, he faced Minnesota, which was a 100-win team last year, three times in a row. And over a, a normally scheduled um, season, that's not a thing that really happens. Um, and so I think Singer and you know a lot of other starting pitchers kind of had a disadvantage um, there. Um, over Singer's last four starts, uh, he pitched 24 innings and had a, uh, a OPS against of 369, which is just crazy, and an ERA of one and a half. Uh, and that's an awfully good stretch. And it's not to say that before he was awful, but, you know, Singer really did those last four starts with just his two pitches. Like, he, he kind of didn't really use his changeup um, when he was in that groove. And it worked. And... You know, the jury's still out whether or not Singer can continue to do that, um, you know, over his career. But he did about as well as you could you could hope for and more just right out of the gate. He was healthy the whole time. There was, you know, very little uh, road bumps uh, to his um, to his big league career. And considering he was dra just drafted in 2018, that's, you know, th that's really good. Yeah, I think if you're certainly if you're looking for like who 
like get them got the most attention or like had the most star power kind of among Royals fans who are they most interested in watching Brady Singer I think uh would be the hands down I I was I think after the season I was I was kind of drafting a an article about like best moments from the season I and I ended up abandoning because it was just too short of a season to really have that many good moments but like all of the ones I came up with were Brady Singer it was like his debut. Uh, it was his his near no hitter, and then his follow up start after that, where he tossed like uh, six more shutout innings or seven more shutout, shutout innings. So he definitely provided the highlights of the season. He, you know, maybe um, you know Salvi had more wins above replacement, but but Singer, I think when you talk about like who was who had the most valuable season for the future of this team, you know, Salvi, who knows, we don't know if he's going to be on the Royals past his contract. I think he will be, but we don't know for sure, but but certainly Brady Singer will be here for the next five years, uh, and so it's very encouraging to see him get off to that kind of start. Uh, Sean, who did you have for the Royals MVP? Um, yeah, I ended up thinking Perez. Um, I mean, totally surprising given that, you know, he started the year off, you know, being diagnosed with COVID, um, but you know, you got to give credit to him. I think most of us were figuring that, like, he was done, you know, as an not done as an MLB player, but done as a productive one in the sense of the guy that, you know, had a three-win season, um, not a three-and-a-half-win season, not all that long ago. Um, but, you know, we, we've we seen those years of him being a sub-100 WRC plus hitter, can't stay healthy. I mean, it's just been kind of one struggle after the other, but it was really nice. Now, again, it was only over 37 games that he played, um, but it was still nice to see that, you know, him being at the age of 30 to put up a two-win season um, and a 162 WRC+. plus. So he was mine. I think it's a good comeback story, as much as it can be a comeback story, um, given that, you know, he played a full season last year. Uh, but I, I do think that he was my MVP, just, you know, given the expectations going into the season, um, he, he he beat them by leaps and bounds. Yeah, I think you're right about that, and especially coming back from surgery like that. But even if he hadn't had surgery, like he's 30 years old, and you should probably start seeing, uh, you know, some slow, you know, his, his offensive numbers start to tick down a little bit, uh, especially a guy that's a free swinger like he is. You would think that there's kind of a book on him, like, don't throw him anything near the strike zone. And yet he still has a lot of success, even on pitches outside of the strike zone. I was looking, you know, it's not like he's been more patient uh, this year. I was just looking at his numbers the other day. I, I didn't realize he drew three walks this year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kelvin Gutierrez, who played four games this year, he also drew three walks. So Salvador Perez is certainly not a guy that's going to draw walks. And yet he still has a tremendous amount of offensive success. Hit 333, 11 home runs to lead the team. Uh, so it is nice to see him kind of get uh, continue uh, and be an effective hitter out up there. Uh, and and maybe the year off actually was probably the best. You know, could maybe that's the best thing for his bat uh, because it allowed him a, a chance to kind of recharge his batteries with a full year off and rest his legs. Uh, he certainly seemed to uh, come back with a vengeance. So yeah, I also have Salvi as my MVP. Uh, not just because of wins above replacement, but also because you know he is a catcher. Uh, he's kind of the heart and soul of this team. Uh, his defensive numbers did take a little bit of a hit this year. I don't know if that's just small sample, you know, size, noise. Um, I, I didn't see. I, I know he, a lot of his value was in throwing guys out, and like not almost no one ran against him this year, so he didn't really have a chance to throw guys out. So, and I know framing's always been kind of an issue with him. Uh, so I, I guess I won't put too much stock in it. But uh, it is nice to see him um, continue with the bat, and hopefully he can be a another solid presence in that lineup next year. Uh, 
Matthew, I know you had Singer as your MVP. Would he be your best pitcher overall as well, or did you have someone else in mind? Yeah, I mean, well, this is going to seem weird that that uh, the best pitcher would go to someone else, but but I think Brad Keller was the best pitcher overall. Um, obviously, he had a two four seven ERA over fifty four innings, um, which is uh, one and a half runs below Singer. And obviously, ERA is not the only thing, but he had a lower FIP. Uh, Keller is kind of an example of why I think it's important to take a look at wins above replacement for both um, fan graphs uh, and baseball reference version um, because Keller consistently, rather consistently, over his entire career has uh, a much lower ERA than his other fielding independent pitching metrics. Um, and that is because he's just really great at limiting extra base hits and home runs. And at this point, I think you can probably say that it's, you know, a, a result from something that he does from a pitching perspective. You know, you if he had maybe one year of this, you'd think, oh, well, you know, maybe he got lucky. But, you know, he's, he's pitched 78 games in his big league career, and his uh, ERA is three and a half his career area is three and a half his career FAP is 3.9 and he's had a much lower ERA than FAP every single year um, and you know looking at it uh, he has been worth 8.3 wins above replacement per uh, baseball reference uh, over his three three seasons and that's that's really really good and he was just as good this year he was on he was on pace for another like three win season overall um, I think that he is definitely not the traditional sort of, um, you know, strike him out kind of ace that you would want with Keller and pitchers like Keller. There's always going to be a little bit of fear of, well, what if he regresses back to what everybody else does in terms of, uh, you know, allowing home runs and allowing uh, extra base hits at, at a normal rate. But he has been really, really, really good. Um not just this year, but over his whole career. Um, and he's been, he's done that at the league minimum salary. Um, he's exactly the candidate to extend. I wouldn't be surprised if the Royals extended him this year. Um, and in fact, you know, maybe would be more surprised if they didn't do it. He's just a perfect extension candidate. Um, he's, you know, maybe a little under the radar because he wasn't an indiv- uh, you know, a, a de- internally developed prospect like, uh, Brady Singer or, or Bubich, uh, but he has been really great. Um, the one knock on him is that he only pitched in nine games this year, but that's not really his fault. So, um, yeah, the best pitcher is is Brad Keller. Yeah, David Lesky had a really good article this uh, was in the last week about what it might take for a Keller extension. We'll have to have him on sometime maybe to talk about what that would take, and, and that would be, I think, yeah, I agree, that would be something a really good step if they were to do that this off season, uh, but we'll go ahead and link out in the show notes. Uh, if you want to read that or just go to our site, I agree. Keller, I think was the most valuable pitcher on the team this year. Here's his, his home numbers were crazy. Uh, he started five games through 33 innings at home, allowed one run in 33 innings at home. Opponents hit 159 with a 208 on base percentage, 177 slug. I mean, that's like Wade Davis numbers. But the craziest thing is he's not striking out guys like Wade Davis did. He's just kind of doing it with, with I guess, Guile. Uh, uh, there's a, a thing in Fangraphs last week about how he was working on a slider this year. But, but Sean, he's he's not really doing it with like overpowering stuff. It's just kind of remarkable. Um, who did you have for your most valuable pitcher for, for uh, the Royals this year? Yeah. 
Um, mine's going to be kind of a weird one, uh, but Kyle Zimmer actually is going to be mine. Uh, maybe it's not that weird, um, but you know, led the uh, led the staff in ERA um, as much as I obviously am not an ERA fan, but also led the staff in uh, FIP uh, by a, a small amount over Greg Holland, uh, twenty points, but still um Kyle Zimmer's mind I mean it's great to see him as a bounce back he didn't have like a, a gaudy war number or anything like that um but and he lost a little bit of command or at least wasn't quite as wasn't quite as commandful as I thought he would be um from a walk perspective but uh still had great stuff I think he had a ridiculous swing take rate on his slider um you know what can you say he's he he, him and Sean Mania were my two favorite pitching prospects the Royals have had since Greinke. I think arguably um, he's the best. Zimmer at the peak was the best Royals pitching prospect in the past 20 years um, on par with Greinke. And so it's really, you know, happy to see him now. We, we, we always talk about how we want Zimmer to pitch a full season and he did kind of pitch a full season this year, but it was a short, short season. So it doesn't really count necessarily. Um, but still, yeah, he, he was mine. Uh, I just love what I saw from him. And again, kind of like Perez, it's a great bounce back story. So I'm going to go with Zimmer just to kind of be a little more democratic in the awards, then go with, uh, you know, some of the, the, the high names. No, but he, you're right. He has been healthy now really for two years. And I, I know he hasn't pitched a ton of innings in those two years, but that is, I mean, that's pretty encouraging just, to see that and and you know last year was kind of a well we'll give him a mulligan you know on his numbers because he's finally healthy we're not going to expect anything out of him and then for him to actually go out and perform this year i think that was uh, a huge boost and and then you know coupled with a couple other guys in that bullpen stepping up uh especially those younger guys um i think that gives royals fans a lot more hope for the future uh he was kind of a surprise but uh was he the most surprising player of the year for you matthew who did you have as biggest surprise for the royals yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know if Zimmer would be the biggest surprise of the of the season for me. Um, you know, it's great to see him, but we all sort of knew that he had that talent. I think the biggest surprise for me is actually Michael Franco, um, because you know he was available at the age of twenty seven from the Phillies for nothing, right? Um, Last season, he hit 30% below league average. Um, two seasons ago, he hit 24% below league average. Um, he's, you know, over the three seasons before this one, he's basically a replacement level player. Um, and he comes to the Royals, and he is, his his hitting profile is kind of weird. He's got very good power. He hits for decent average, but he just doesn't walk very much. And so his, you know, his overall production is limited a little bit, but he was, you know, a little bit above league average hitter. And he was a surprisingly good defender after like a couple of early season flubs. Um, you know, he was, he was really solid. The defensive metrics rate him pretty well. Um, so he was, and he, uh, was, uh, fourth in the in the team in position player wins above replacement and over a full season would have been you know almost a, a three-win player um which for the royals to pick up out of nowhere that's kind of like you know when they when they got um you know frenchy back in the day 10 years ago or, or whatever you know where they they got the best version of him and uh he was really good kind of out of nowhere um so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to go with franco yeah, I have to admit my expectations are pretty low on him going into this year. I'd heard a lot of bad things from Phillies fans about um, 
about his defense and uh, and a little bit of questions about his his work ethic. And he seemed like he was an exemplary teammate. There was an article midseason about how he's kind of like kept everyone loose with his joking and uh, his defense was a little subpar. I wouldn't you know it wasn't as as bad as I maybe I thought, but his bat certainly uh, was better than I expected. And I think it kind of carried the day. Sean, who do you have as uh, most surprising player in the Royals? Um, I kind of have two. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Um, maybe you can combine them into one player in a way. Um, I like, I'll start with Cam Gallagher. Um, ended up with a freaking 356 OBP, um, which I don't think anybody would have seen coming. Led, that would lead the team in OBP. Um, 117 WRC plus, worth half a win. Um, you know, was above average hitter and, uh, you know, obviously an above average OVP and a 10% walk rate. I, I was kind of surprised. I mean, he'd been so dreadful last year as a hitter. Um, and then two years prior as well, he had a 46 WRC plus now small sample of only 22 games, but just was not good. And then same thing last year, um, 79 WRC plus was just probably fairly close to league average for a catcher. Um, but still was kind of a dead spot in the lineup and wasn't a, a great defender. Uh, necessarily that you know you could live with that terrible p- hitting um but um this year you know worth half a win um above average hitter by 70 percent, which in catcher terms is pretty gigantic um and then you know was was kind of a nice surprise so i also thought again a kind of limited action mind McBroom um was kind of a nice surprise wasn't quite as terrible as Gallagher was, uh, his, you know, historically speaking, as a hitter. But um, it was kind of fun to see him come off the bench and hit all those pinching home runs. And uh, he did end up being an above average hitter. So it was all power. I mean, he had a 282 OBP, so that's not great. And 35% strikeout rate. But, uh, it, you know, it was definitely fun to see him kind of come off the bench and, uh, you know, be uh, effectively Matt Stairs off the uh, yeah, so uh, I, I would combine those two kind of into into my single award. They'd be co-winners. So my my most biggest surprise this year was uh, Jesse Hahn, just because I thought he was likely to get non-tendered last year. I kind of written him off as a guy that was injured and you know he hadn't really pitched in two years since the Royals acquired him, and it was like he was the ghost on the roster that we weren't even sure he was he really existed. Uh, and even when he was on the roster this year, he just kind of flew under the radar. Like Josh Stalmont was impressing everyone with his fastball. Trevor Rosenthal was collecting the saves. Everyone was getting nostalgic with Greg Holland. Scott Barlow was kind of doing his thing. Uh, Kyle Zimmer, you know, was, was back and healthy. And Jesse Hahn just kind of flew under the radar and posted a zero zero point five two ERA in 17 and a third innings. Right-handers went, or, or, excuse me, left-handers went 0 for 28 against him this year. Uh, and he just had a really a remarkable season. Uh, overall hitters had a um, an OPS of just uh, two two eighty nine against him. Uh, and I don't know, you know, if this if this is going to carry over into next year. Uh, but it's certainly again, you know, another having another guy in the bullpen that can kind of toss up zeros like that. Uh, it makes things kind of interesting for the Royals. And I think it, it definitely gives the Royals fans a little more hope for twenty twenty one. How about biggest disappointment, uh, Matthew? I imagine there's there's one big candidate that, that's on the tip of all our tongues. Yeah, well, I, I think there are are two two candidates here, uh, both in position players. But I think I think the biggest um, position player and you know busy, busy, biggest disappointment overall is uh, Ryan O'Hearn. Um, Ryan O'Hearn in 2018. Um, in his rookie season, um, kind of was out of nowhere, and he was really, really good. Um, he hit for power. He hit a whole bunch of home runs in not all that many games, uh, and 
he hit 53% above league average over 170 plate appearances, which is really good. And that's, you know, maybe you don't think that he's going to hit 53% of 53% above league average moving forward. You know, that makes sense, but doing so well over almost 200 plate appearances is a really good signal for his career. And since then he has been a way below league average hitter um, and a below replacement level player um, by a really big margin. But I think what was the most disappoint, uh, what was most disappointing to me about O'Hearn um, in the past, the knock on him was sort of that uh, he hit lefties really, really well, but was basically unplayable against right-handed hitters. So in last season, um, which was the single season with the most uh, plate appearances and, and the biggest sample size for O'Hearn, um, O'Hearn hit um, 30, uh, had a 36 WRC plus against left-handed hitters, which is really bad. But he hit right-handed hitters, you know, better. Um, and over his career, that was true, and that was even true in 2018. Um, he had a 24 WRC plus against left-handed uh, pitchers, um, and a 194 WRC plus against right-handed pitchers. So that's 94% better than league average against right-handed uh, pitchers. Um, but he did not show that same, you know, split, you know, really O'Hearn, if he's, if he's kind of not so great overall, you could at least bank on him, you know, being good against, uh, righties, um, and be a platoon guy. But this year that wasn't even the case. Like he did not hit righties well at all. And what little success he saw this, this year was against lefties. So, you know, ironically, like at, at this point in O'Hearn's career, um, the fact that he can't hit lefties is is not really a problem if he can match righties. You know, there are a lot of players who have gotten by in one way or another. Danny Valencia comes to mind. Um, they just, you know, bash opposite handing hitting, and that's their role. And O'Hearn didn't even show that this year. And that, I think, is, is the most disappointing of all in that, like, the one, like, niche that he could carve out for himself as, like, a righty masher on a roster, he failed at that this year as well. Um, and it's, you know, with, with Hunter Dozier playing for space uh, for, like, the last month of the year, I it's 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 kind of hard to see what O'Hearn's place is on the roster moving forward. Sean, who's your most disappointing Royal this year? Yeah, so I think O'Hearn's a decent one, but it depends on. So I think the I think the way to answer this question is it depends on what expectations you had about the player going in, and I didn't really have great expectations for O'Hearn given how bad he was last year. Um, two years ago was fun, but last year was probably a proper evaluation of who he was. So I just didn't expect much. The same with Bubba Starley, right? Not a very good year, but I don't know what you could expect from him. Um, I think I was maybe the most disappointed with uh, Jake Junis, um, who ended up with a negative WRC, or excuse me, negative war this year after last year being worth half a win and basically half a win the year prior. Um, just took no step forward obviously, obviously took a step back i guess i should say uh ended up with you know mid or quarter six era quarter six fip um just didn't do anything well command didn't make any improvements really um still giving up the home run ball per usual just i wouldn't say he's a non-tender candidate but he, i would say after next year 
probably is going to be a non-tender candidate if this cups up, um, which is kind of sucks to say, um, given how, you know, jo- jokingly, some people were giving him uh, Corey Kluber comps back in 2017. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just was a tough year for him. And, you know, he just is not – it would be great if he continued to be a one-and-a-half win pitcher, um, but he just has not, not done that this year. And, you know, next year, my expectations for him are, are going to be lowered. And that's that's disappointing and unfortunate. Um, but, you know, when you get as many home runs as he has, even in this inflated home run environment, there's just that's just a line you can't live on um, unless you're, you know, Max Scherzer, basically. Yeah, it seems like every sign is that he's moving to the bullpen next year. And, and you know, hopefully maybe that gets kind of his career going. Cause I, you know, he does have some interesting stuff that I think maybe would play better in the bullpen. Uh, but, yeah, it's a pretty disappointing uh, the name I thought you guys are going to both going to mention and uh, is Adalberto Mondesi just because, you know, he got off to that dreadful start. And, and like you said, Sean, I think it, this has to do with where your expectations were for this player. And, you know, uh, Matthew, I think you wrote a, a review for Adalberto Mondesi. And in the review, um, they, there was a, a poll about how the fans would grade Mondesi's performance. And, and they graded him uh, over half of the people graded him a C, which I thought was a little rough. Because he did have a strong finish, and he was still uh, the second most valuable player by wins above replacement because of his speed and defense. Uh, so I do think he is valuable, and I think he was okay this year. But the fact is, he still was a, what, an 85 uh, weighted runs created plus shortstop, and you would expect more from him. Uh, you expect him to be league average or above league average, average uh, considering what his back can do, especially in the power department. And the fact that he just looked just dreadful for a month. Uh, I think that that's just that's that's extremely disappointing, uh, and, and the fact that he, he came on later in the year that's great. And hopefully, this is just a matter of him, you know, not having his head screwed on right, or maybe he was still a little bit hurt to begin the year. Um, uh, but but it, you know, in a way, it almost makes it more frustrating that um, you know he hit so well late in the season because it's like, well, that's what you can do. Why are you so lost at the plate for for several weeks to begin the season? Um, you know, just a little more consistency, I think, would be welcome from him. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully, can carry in his strong performance at the end of the season into next year. But um, I think the, I think the book is still very much out on him, especially uh, with the fans. Uh, that you certainly want to see more from him next year. Uh, so you know, those are kind of our end of the year awards. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't expect the Royals to be up for any <laughs> significant awards like MVP or even Rookie of the Year. I think it's probably not. Uh, Brady Singer's not going to get any votes for that. However, they will get some votes uh, possibly for Gold Glove Award. Alex Gordon and Nikki Lopez, both named finalists. Interesting. Nikki Lopez was not initially named a finalist. Uh, not, not one of the three players um, uh, initially listed. And then after a few minutes, they said, oh, okay, we made a mistake. Actually, Nicky Lopez is the fourth finalist, which was a bit curious. Uh, notably shot out with Salvador Perez. But like I said, he, he, uh, he did have a little bit of a down season defensively, and uh, he only played in 37 games. So a little bit understandable that he got left off maybe. Uh, but Matthew, do you have uh, any, any thoughts on who on Gordon and Lopez uh, being finalists for the Gold Glove? And do you expect them to, to, to walk away with it? Um, well, I think in both cases, um, they are uh, definitely worthy. Um, both of them played um, a vast majority of their games um, at that position. Um, and, you know, with, with only 60 games um, and a lot of teams kind of shuffling around, there weren't a whole bunch of players, you know, to, to pull from necessarily um, who have 
the qualifications, uh, you know, to play at that position for the majority of the season, yada, yada. Um, and both of them are good defenders. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the, the stats um, in the last couple of weeks, but I think after the season ended, I took a look. Um, and you can make the case pretty strongly that Nicky Lopez – um, was the best defensive second baseman uh, in the American League. So I think Nicky Lopez, based on merit alone, um, you know, definitely uh, would be worthy of winning the Gold Glove. Um, Alex Gordon had a you know kind of okay season uh, at, at in left field. Um, you know, he definitely had a couple of those um, you know uh, outfield assists that we all know and love. But I don't really recall any you know of those like diving moments so much. Um, so I, and I don't think that he is statistically the best left fielder in baseball, but you know, as we all know, the gold gloves aren't a statistical award category. There are people voting for, um, those players. Now stats are a part of it. Definitely. Um, the the final, it it is interesting this year. They did change it a little bit in that, um, the finalists were determined exclusively by stats because, you know, teams weren't playing each other this year. So they did base it solely on stats, except they based it on something called the Sabre defensive index, which is kind of a convoluted, they didn't explain a lot about how, how what goes into that other than it's like the good plays are good and bad plays are bad. It's like, and I don't know how exactly they judge that. Um, some of the right, finalists but, but were the voting, curious. but the voting, the voting, yeah, voting on the finalists, I think is done by coaches, yeah, but I'm yeah, not yeah. entirely clear about that. Yeah, so so in in that part there is still still a voting yeah. you know aspect to it. So I do wonder if Gore if you know Nicky Lopez is more worthy of winning than Alex Gordon on a pure uh, merit base. But I wonder if the opposite might be true in that a bunch of coaches um, you know see Alex Gordon through those you know rose tinted glasses and give him one final gold glove. And Nicky Lopez isn't a good enough hitter to really draw attention to his fielding, which sucks. But that's the case that it's always been for the gold glove. Um, he, he could win, but you know, the fact that Lorenzo Cain only has one gold glove is kind of evidence to, um, the awards, you know, not illegitimacy, but not winning a gold glove or winning a gold glove. doesn't necessarily mean all that you think it might mean. Yeah. Kevin Kiermaier, who's, I think one of the best defensive outfielders in the game. He wasn't a finalist. Jackie Bradley kind of went to, to in social media to complain about the fact he wasn't a finalist. Yadier Molina made a big stink about it. Uh, on Instagram that he was in a final. So, and I don't know how, if those, you know, Kiermaier, I think definitely is deserving. Uh, some of those other guys maybe have lost a step. I don't know. I wasn't watching them this year. Uh, you know, Alex Gordon, you know, you say you didn't see a lot of defensive, you know, dives from this year, but I think it's kind of like probably on par for left field. I, I think left field's kind of weak uh, in the American league uh, anyway. Uh, and I think Gordon's metrics are still pretty good. I think I, I expect him to walk away with it. I don't think there's, I don't think there's really much competition. Uh, Nicky Lopez, I think, could justifiably win it. Uh, I just don't see if it is, if it does come down to a vote of coaches, he's just not enough of a name. I think Cesar Hernandez, who it's not like a big star, but I think the metrics would kind of back him up a little bit. Um, he seems like he'd be a, a you know a lot more likely to get it. Or Jonathan Scope uh, of the Tigers, who um, kind of is more known for his bat, but had some decent defensive metrics this year. So I, yeah, I can see the name kind of uh, you know winning it for them there. Sean, you know, Nicky Lopez, you know, he's a good defender. Of course, he hasn't hit much. Um, I guess it almost seems like we're seeing Chris Getz redux where the Royals are just like great. You know, they're satisfied with a second baseman who can field his position well, but can't 
can't hit much. Um, how long of a leash uh, will he have based on his glove? Yeah, I mean, I think I think people are still think about that Lopez that got called up and he uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He had a he had a hot start, didn't he? I could have sworn I remember him because he hit that home run in Omaha, and that was shortly after he got called up and. I think people were thinking like, okay, great. You know, it's nice to have a hitter, a second baseman who can hit and field. And then he kind of fell back into that, you know, hitter who had a career minor league WRC plus a sub 100, whatever it was. Um, I don't know how long his leash is. And I think that depends on who who's running the front office, right? I think on uh, if he was in the, you know, the, the Rays or the Dodgers, his leash would be much, much shorter. Um, but if he's in someone like the, the Royals front office, um, then he's going to have a little bit of a, a longer leash, um, given their emphasis on, I would say, less on offense, more on defense um, or, or the Rockies. Right. The Rockies would kind of be a similar thing where they they're focusing a little bit more on the sabermetrically inclined stuff, which defense isn't necessarily, you know, sabermetrically inclined. It's kind of an all, all encompassing thing you want to look at. Um, but I don't know. I mean, on the one hand. He wasn't a highly touted prospect, so he that will inherently give him a shorter leash. And he wasn't a first round pick either, so that you know helps a bit too. Excuse me, help is maybe the wrong word, but that impacts it a bit too. But I definitely think he gets all of next year. Um, could he have twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two as well? Maybe, um, but I think that he his defense is so good, and I have him as probably the best second base defensive second baseman at least this year he was adam frazier was up there with him um so i'd say one of those two or like you said cesar hernandez um any of those three really um but lopez had the highest i put together kind of an aggregate uh using stack cast outs above average and drc dr dr plus oh my gosh drs and uzr um lopez was the highest second baseman on that list so i think he'll have at least one more year without a doubt um, but if the bat ends up being, oh gosh, I don't even remember what he finished the year at as poorly as it was. I'm going to pull it up right now. Um, he ended the year with a, yeah, 55 WRC plus that, that dog just is not going to hunt. Um, I think maybe the surprising thing, maybe the surprising, but not surprising thing is that he barely struck out relatively speaking in the minor leagues. And even last year, he only had a 12% strikeout rate. Um, this year, he was up at 21%, which is much more league average. There's some optimism that maybe he can be kind of a high-contact hitter who's a, a good base runner, uh, mostly, and a good fielder if he can not strike out 20%, but he can't do that. He can't have no power and strike out 21%. He needs to pick one of the two, and we can pretty much imagine power is not going to happen for him, uh, so he's got to fix that or whatever the issue is there. So, unfortunately, he's had a career negative 0.4 war. Um, which is not great. Over 600 plate appearances that he's had, but I think he has one more year, and then you can start thinking about more of that backup kind of role. Because I mean, to be honest, who's going to play? Who's behind him? Bobby Wood Jr. is not there just yet, so you can't move Montesio over. So I think at least for now, he's your starting second baseman, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they couldn't move Merrifield, I suppose, but they seem like they are comfortable having him in the outfield and, and giving Nicky, since he is such a good defender at second base. Uh, I agree. You probably get another year, uh, just because they don't have like a stud second baseman or anything pushing him, uh, pushing him out. Um, yeah, I mean, if he if he were to cut down the strikeouts, um, you know, there's there's some skills there that the Royals would like, and I think that would play really well 
in Kauffman Stadium, but I feel like he's the kind of guy that if you had like six big boppers in your lineup, you could afford to carry a guy like Nick, like Nicky Lopez who plays great, great defense, does a lot of little things, but isn't maybe necessarily a threat to hit it out of the ballpark. But the Royals just don't, they don't, they can't afford that luxury right now. They don't really have enough guys like that to carry a guy like Nicky Lopez. Maybe they will someday, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I like the guy. He's, he, you know, he's a, he seems like a really likable guy off the field. Um, he does a lot for, for charity. Uh, and like I said, he's aesthetically, he's a very pleasing player. You know, he fields his position well, puts the ball in play, uh, draw some walks, uh, you know, run the base as well. Uh, so I do want him to succeed very much. Uh, but, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he gets more, much more than a year. We'll have to see. Uh, 2021 could be a very important year for him developmentally. Uh, real quick, I did want to mention the news that Hulu, the streaming service, uh, Hulu Live is dropping Fox Sports Kansas City after failing to come to agreement uh, with Sinclair, which own, owns uh, the Fox Regional Sports Networks. They were sold last year um, to as part of a, a deal to break up, uh, I think it was, it was Disney, uh, had owned them before. But now Sinclair does, and they they're, they're, Hulu is not the first streaming service to drop uh, Fox Sports Kansas City over dispute. Uh, they've already been dropped by um, uh, YouTube TV at the end of the baseball season, dropped them as well. And then last year, uh, Sling TV dropped them. Dropped them. Also, Dish Network has dropped them as well. Uh, Matthew, it's getting harder and harder to watch the Royals if you're a cord cutter. Uh, I guess I, I just I'm curious, how do you watch the Royals, and uh, and what do you kind of make of uh, of Sinclair maybe cutting their nose off in spite of their face? I think so. I watch. I have Google Fiber. Um, previously I, we had, before we, we bought our house, um, you know, a handful of years ago and moved in and we had Time Warner or Spectrum, I guess, as it's now. Um, and we, you know, we had the cable package and we were perfectly happy with it, but we were able to save money by, uh, getting faster internet, uh, at Google, Google fiber, and then just, you know, splitting it out into YouTube TV, which at the time was like $15 less per month than it is right now. And also now it doesn't have. Uh, the Royals games anymore. Now, the they did come to an agreement before this year started where they would temporarily be on YouTube TV. Um, and so for this this year, um, we have watched the Royals on YouTube TV, uh, but that was not a permanent agreement. And also, um, where in, in past years, uh, certain areas, for instance, my parents live in, in Iowa, they were able to watch the Royals on YouTube TV. They were not able to do so this year because that temporary agreement wasn't the full agreement. Um, I think it's I think it's dumb, but I also think, and this might be naive of me, but I do think this, that um, once the baseball season rolls around, they'll come to an agreement. Um, this is exactly the type of, or the, the exact, exactly the time of year where you want to, you know, rattle your sabers and play and play hardball because if we're being honest, those of us who are baseball fans do not care if Fox Sports Kansas City is not on our channel list from October through March. We will care in April. So I think that this is I, – I think they'll eventually get it done, at least in the markets where they uh, are, are primarily based, like having Fox Sports Kansas City in Kansas City. But I am a little concerned, like I said, for people who live maybe outside of the core metro area who previously were able to see um, 
to you know to see Royals games, um, but but might not be able to moving forward. And what stinks is that there's no real good um, there's no real good solution to this. We all sort of have to hope uh, and pray that Sinclair and YouTube TV get their stuff together and sign on to an agreement. But that that might not happen. And if that doesn't happen, then what do we do, right? So like cord people who have cut the cord are not gonna reconnect the cord, so to speak. Um, and people who are outside of the main core metro area for these places, even if um, a, a deal gets reached for those in Kansas City, for those people in Iowa, what are they going to do? Like, even if they reconnect the cord, as it were, they might not necessarily get uh, Fox Sports Kansas City or get the Royals. Um, so I think that ultimately this whole this whole thing is. Uh, indicative of how poorly baseball has set up its um, blackout rules and restrictions because the solution is right there in that you get MLB TV for 130 bucks or whatever it is a year and you can watch what team you want except you can't so I think ultimately it's it's more of an indictment of baseball's blackout rules and restrictions than it is anything else because without those rules and restrictions there would be a safety net to fall back on, but there is no safety net to fall back on currently. Well, I think a lot of those blackout restrictions are, are to, to, to pump up the price that they get from the cable providers uh, because they're, 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 the cable providers are, are paying for exclusivity in, in a way, or, you know, or more exclusive uh, by, by limiting the supply of the product, which is bad for baseball, but good for the, the cable providers. What baseball likes is that they get the, the, those you know, millions and millions of dollars uh, which you know you could argue for them. That's also cutting off their nose in spite of their face as well. You know we were watching uh, the Royals on YouTube TV, and then when I heard that YouTube TV was going to lose the Royals uh, at the end of the season, um, I well I kind of made a mental note. I was like, well that's fine for now. I don't you know like you said I'm not really watching Fox Sports Kansas City over the off season. You know it's a bummer. I can't watch Sporting KC, but uh, you know I'm not a huge fan, so that's that's too bad. Um, but now that you lose, you're losing them as well. Now my options are a little bit limited. I think AT&T now is the only option right now. And that's $70 a month. I can't see myself connecting back to cable. So I don't know. I hope they, they kind of figure it out by the time the season starts. Sean, what it does, you know, I think Matthew is right that it does seem like baseball maybe isn't doing what's best for the sport in the long term uh, with these blackout restrictions. But also, you know, a lot of this blame, I think, goes on Sinclair for kind of being a hardball negotiator. What's kind of your your take on, on Hulu dropping FSKC? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not above I'm not above finding alternative streaming methods, uh, as we'll put it, uh, for games. And, you know, sometimes I even kind of prefer that because the bandwidth is lower on it, the resources to watch it like on my computer are, are smaller. So it's just kind of uh I've got no problem actually using it that route. Um, I use YouTube TV. Uh, service that is great by the way uh, for anybody who's on the fence um but yeah you know you and i were kind of thrown under the the bus quickly and then it got fixed and then i guess i didn't know that it was just a temporary fix i and it was like literally like the day after um the day after the season ended or so it was like oh yeah uh we don't we no longer have access so it's like oh that's great um so i i just uh I have no idea what's going to happen. They have to have a fix because there's no way 
that they can be with this short of eyeballs. Um, part of it is probably due to, uh, gosh, I forget who it was that bought um, the regional networks for this. Oh, man, I'm blanking on it. Uh, I'm sure it's just posturing uh, by private equity folks that that own the stake in it. Um, but uh, I think, I think yeah, they have to have this switch back on uh, by, by the season start time. Just It'd be outrageous if they're short of Hulu because otherwise it's the hard box cable folks or it's like you said, AT&T, which I mean, AT&T literally like two quarters ago said they were out of the service, the cable service business. So I don't think that that's much longer either. So I think it's a they've got plenty of time now. I mean, I actually, I guess whatever they've got, call it six months to take care of it. So and we hope they do. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. We come back. We'll talk about the World Series. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, the uh, the World Series uh, could be ending, I guess, tonight as we film, as we record this. Uh, the Rays and Dodgers have been engaged in what's, what's been a pretty good series. Uh, we've had a lot of heroes, Randy Rezarena, a thrilling ending in Game 4, some questionable managerial decisions. Uh, Matthew, what's kind of been your, your uh, big takeaways from the uh, 2020 World Series? Well, it's it's been uh, a pretty fun series, um, and I always like it when um, the result of the series, just independently, independently of how it's played, when the result of a series um, is two teams that both get to enjoy a really long World Series drought, in this case the Rays, who have never won the World Series, um, and the Dodgers, who last won the World Series in 1988. You know, it's, you know, either way, however it shakes out, if you're listening and it did shake out, what doesn't matter, either team will have gotten a very rare thing for them, you know, recently. Um, or in the case of the Rays, you know, at all, because they um, were formed in 98, 97, something like that. Um, and they've just been to one other World Series and they and they lost that one. So, so that's always nice to see. Um, but it's also really fun to sort of see a World Series um, team like the Rays. Um, the Rays are they share a lot of similarities to the 2014 and 2015 Royals. And I, I wrote, wrote about this uh, last week or the week before um, where they are a, like a small market team, you know, Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay area is, is a reasonably populous uh, area, but they're still outside the top 10 in terms of uh, TV market size um, for, you know, for their area. Um, plus the owners just don't have a lot of money. And that's really the, the thing that matters the most um, in terms of like small market or big market is, you know, the owners don't have the resources of the big market team. And so the Rays have been forced to, for a really long time, be basically ruthless and um, very efficient with the construction of their roster. So for the last 
15 years. What they have done is um, they have developed prospects at an excellent rate. Um, and then once those prospects um, start to be promising and start to get into their years of arbitration, they tend to trade them away for um, new resources and they just keep that going. Um, you know, the, the, the bad result from that is that you don't get the kind of Eric Cosmers who are there for seven years, um, you know, and there's not really a, long, a lot of long-time Rays. Like the Rays never would have re-signed Alex Gordon, um, one of their Alex Gordons, um, once, once they reach free agency. They just like don't do that. Um, so the Rays aren't exactly the Royals, but they are kind of similar to the 2014-2015 Royals um, when it comes to uh, speed and defense. Um, you know, it's really nice to see a team that prioritizes defense like like the Rays. They've got great defenders all over uh, the place. I think an outfield with Kiermaier and Brett Phillips is like two-thirds of you – know, that's potentially like an all-time great outfield right there with those two, um, defense-wise at least. And then their bullpen is just, you know, lights out. they got a bunch of people who can throw very hard and are very good. Um, and, you know, they run the bases well. And that ultimately is the – formula that the 2014 and 2015 Royals did is that they, you know, they ran the base as well. They pitched well out of the bullpen. They had a great defense. Um, and uh, just as a side note, when I was, you know, looking up some information for the piece that I wrote, um, between 2014 and 2015, the Royals were, A, the best defensive team in baseball by the metrics. They were also the best bullpen in baseball by a couple different metrics. They were also had the most steals of any team. And they also struck out the least of any other team. And none of those figures are like, oh, they were like the second or third best bullpen. No, they they had the best defensive team in baseball. They had the best bullpen in baseball. They stole the most bases, and they struck out the least out of any team in baseball. And to be the best at four different categories that kind of aren't your sort of standard categories like average or on base or home runs, that made the team like a, a really interesting blend. And I think the Rays are the closest that we've gotten to you know, the, the golden year Royals. Uh, and that, that's made it them really fun to watch. Yeah. I guess I was kind of worried that going into the series, we had the two most analytical teams and for all that I love about analytics, you know, and I think teams should pursue it if, you know, to win ball games, I think it has produced a less, in my opinion. And I, I think, no, not everyone shares this opinion. It has produced a less aesthetically pleasing version of the game where it relies more on home runs and strikeouts, which I find, in excess can be a little bit more boring. However, this has been an enormously exciting World Series with a lot of great plays. We've seen an attempted steal of home. We've seen crazy defensive plays. We've seen a guy just come out of nowhere to hit out of his mind in Randy Arozarena. We've seen uh, good pitching performances. It's really been a remarkable series. And for someone that I didn't really come into this with, uh, you know, really rooting really hard for either either side, I think. I naturally am inclined to root for the underdog in the Rays, but on the other hand, the Dodgers haven't won in 32 years, and I like to reward excellence, and I have a friend that's a really big Dodgers fan who has never been uh, alive for a Dodgers championship. So, um, you know, I kind of root for him. Um, and so, But as someone that doesn't really have a dog in the fight, it's been really a treat to watch. Uh, and you're, and you, you do make a lot of interesting parallels, I think, to the 2014-15 Royals. Uh, and so I don't know, maybe, you know, uh, having a little bit of a diversity in how you play the game is is good and comes in handy for the postseason. Uh, Sean, what's what's kind of your takeaway from, from watching the Fall Classic? Yeah, you know, 
uh, it's been an enjoyable series. <clears throat> it's been a particularly kind of crazy series too, a little bit. Um, I think that one of my favorite things is that I, I wonder if the average kind of viewer, and I don't mean this in kind of a condescending way, but I wonder if the average viewer realizes just like how cool it is that we have the arguably the two most analytically inclined teams in the World Series. It's a nice confirmation for analytics. Um, you know, and it's also awesome to see just two like incredibly conf- conflicting lineups. The Dodgers, these high spenders, and they're they really obviously spend a lot of money, but they also you know find guys and and they turn Justin Turner's into Justin Turner's. Um, and they you know they're incredible analytically friendly team. And then you've got the Rays who you know are running out Mike Zanino and, and Randy and uh, gosh. Uh, just an outrageous cast of characters, um, but it's still cool that you know these are two great teams, and and I've really enjoyed it. Um, I don't have a dog in the fight either, and I, I don't really care necessarily who wins. I think it'd be great for both teams uh, to win. I did see a stat that the last pitcher, because now tonight, uh, oh gosh, who started who started tonight's game for the Dodgers? I already have forgotten. Uh, Tony uh, Gunsolin. Yeah, yep, yeah, that's right. He can't get the win because obviously the Dodgers aren't winning at this current moment. Um, so the last Dodgers starting pitcher to win a World Series game that was not Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller was Oral Hershiser. Hmm. Uh, so that's how long it's been since a Dodgers starting pitcher won a World Series game, uh, which you know cannot happen now again tonight. Um, and if the Dodgers ultimately win, cannot happen until next year uh, for another year. So it's just been incredible. But uh, I think it's been a really great, fun. Um, season and and i don't think anybody's going to look back on excuse me fun great world series and i don't think anybody's going to look back on this world series as having an asterisk i I think it's a i think it's going to be seen as a legitimately good and valid world series yeah that kind of talk um i think really disappeared once the season began or at least definitely when the once the postseason began um and yeah i think i think people will treat this as a regular especially since it's a top two seeds i think if you would add like a, a number six seed and number five seed maybe it would be seen as a little bit um, of aberration, but we have the two best teams, obviously two best teams in baseball going at it and it has been a fun series. You know, you mentioned that, you know, for the casual fan watching at home, it is, you know, need to have two analytic teams. I have noticed that I don't know if someone talked to John Smoltz or, or he's just kind of acknowledging now that since we have two analytical teams that, you know, there must be something to it, but he's been, I think pretty at the very least, like uh, kind of quiet about, complaining about analytics to the point of like at times saying, well, you know, the analytics back this up, you know, this decision may seem unorthodox, but, but there are the numbers behind it. Uh, no, I I think he did complain about the shift. I think tonight, um, but you know, these kind of unorthodox pitching decisions, which frankly, some of them I think are a little bit over overkill. I think Dave Roberts is maybe overthinking things a little bit when he comes to, uh, you know, having a hook in the second inning for a starting pitching. I think that's a little, aggressive uh in pulling a pitcher in, in in my view but um but you know certainly they have an analytics department that, that perhaps backs it up but um but even smoltz has been kind of like well you know that's there's some numbers to to show that that, that, that this is the right move so you know maybe this is finally the point where even kind of old school guys are kind of accepting at least some of the analytics and 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 certainly um acknowledging that they're, they're a pretty big uh, secret of success if, if all these teams that are way into analytics are having are in the World Series every year. So fun series. Uh, you know, we should have a champion here the next you know, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow night. We'll have to see. I, I'm kind of rooting for a game seven just so we can have an epic series. 
Uh, but but certainly it'll be fun to have a champion. Uh, someone either we're gonna have someone that hasn't won in 30 years either way. So that, either way, I think that's pretty neat when that happens in baseball. So let's wrap it up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so keeping it um, a little more on topic than usual, um, I would just like to plug the Royals, uh, the Kansas City Royals uh, YouTube channel. Um, so lately, they have really, really, really been killing it with their YouTube channel, and they're doing a um, kind of an interesting um, content strategy. Um, and I think it, it's it's working really well. So what what they're doing basically is that they're producing these you know highly slickly produced videos, um, you know the style of you know like any other highly produced YouTuber. Um, and, you know, YouTube organization out there. And they've got all kinds of different stuff. I think the, the, the thing that's most interesting to fans is they've had about three or four different videos about what it's like um, on in the alternate site in T-Bone Stadium, um, what it was like at summer camp, and what it, it, the fall um, uh, inter-squad stuff is going on right now. They have a number of videos about that, and they're they're – really well done and they offer a perspective that i i don't i don't know if i've seen anywhere um where they will like follow these mic'd up players through the game um and through their their workouts and everything and you get really like unique view on uh, what's going on um plus lately they've been doing a lot of other stuff um they did a uh, a pro um a promo or or a video about uh, Trevor Vance, the head groundskeeper, uh, just uh, last week. They had a very interesting video about uh, Scott Barlow, who showed off his uh, his <laughs> um, not a, not his trailer trailer his RV his, his, his <laughs> RV. But which which is actually like you think about it, a really smart thing. Like Barlow, these baseball players, see. they play baseball for you know six months and then they have to you know find somewhere else you know, to live, which is, you know, kind of really, really smart. And it's a nice RV. It's not one of those like (laughs) campers. It's like one of those, okay, that's like better than my house RVs. Yeah. Like if I too could buy a nice RV, if I made $500,000 a year, um, uh, they had a, like the full, um, Alex Gordon locker dedication video, which is nine minutes. So it had speeches, uh, from the, the locker room of, uh, from Whit Merrifield and Alex Gordon, Mike Matheny there. Um, they, they just have like a lot of really great stuff that I'm not seeing anywhere else. And what's kind of criminal about it is there's they don't have a whole lot of views. Like these views are generally like a couple thousand views maybe. Um, and they have just under 13,000 subscribers as we are as we're discussing this. Um, I've, I've been just really impressed at what they've what they've done with the YouTube channel. Um, I haven't told you this yet, Max, but I emailed Toby Cook. I'm getting some more information about just like what uh, they are or, you know, how the digital team decided on, on doing this and, 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 you know, just some, some insight on their end because I just, just think as, you know, as a content person myself, it's, it's really fascinating. So I uh, expect an article about the Royals uh, YouTube channel um, in the next couple of weeks from me. But in the meantime, check it out. And I also have to really, really stop myself from saying the Royals Review YouTube channel because it's just uh, second nature at this point. The Kansas City Royals YouTube channel. I think our YouTube channel has like six videos. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they've really stepped it up with social media, actually. I've been really impressed with some of their stuff. They've been posting on Twitter as well. Uh, so I don't know if, they, if they've hired a new team. They're doing a really good job. and They, they deserve a lot of kudos. Uh, Sean, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, I uh, finally got to 
<clears throat> watch a couple things. I'm going to say two quick two quick hitters here. Um, the Trial of Chicago Seven is out on Netflix. Um, I I vaguely knew about the um, the Chicago riots might be the wrong word, but whatever you want to call it, the what happened back in the '60s um, in Chicago at the Democratic National Convention. Um, I knew very little out of the existence of it, um, just from Mad Men of all shows, covers it a little bit just for one episode. Um, but that's Aaron Sorkin uh, movie with a, a million different actors that you've seen in different things. Sasha Baron Cohen as well, uh, who also was in the new Borat movie, which was not that great. Um, but that's on Netflix. That's incredible. I love Aaron Sorkin. Um, it's, it's very Sorkin-esque. Um, it's a little cheesy, but that's kind of just how Sorkin is. I, I think it was really good. It's a good history lesson, too. Obviously, it's a little one-sided in the sense of not that there's a narrative needed to be spun about it, but it's very much, you know, following the defendants, um, the Chicago seven. Um, and it's very much kind of telling their, their story in a positive light and kind of freedom and everything. And so taking it with that, um, kind of grain of salt, I think it's, I think it's really great. Um, I actually also saw a movie called midnight special that I have been trying to get around to seeing for a long time. Uh, directed by Jeff Nichols, um, who I just had never seen or never actually just, you know, taken the time to watch. And it, it was great. It's Michael Shannon, Joel Edgerton, uh, Kirsten Dunst is in it. Adam Driver's in it. Um, Sam Shepard, rest in peace, is in it as well. So I think it's a, it was a really cool movie. It's it's fantasy. Fantasy? I guess it would be fantasy. Um, and it's just kind of about a kid with kind of special powers. And it, it was really, really good. Um, just a, a really good solid movie. So it's also on Netflix. Um, so worth checking out. Trial of Chicago 7 and uh, Midnight Special, both pretty good. Yeah, I saw the trailer for uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. And uh, I, was all, I was hooked at that point. Uh, also being kind of like a history buff. And then when I saw it was Aaron Sorkin, I think you and I are kind of Sorkin the files, but uh, yeah. And, and so I, you know, I, and I, I think some of his work is just, you know, it's, it's like either it's just so swing and miss with him. It's like, either it's like just outstanding or it's just like, Oh, this is terrible, but I still, I still yeah, want to watch I, it, you know, even though it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, so I am, I'm definitely going to watch, check that out. That's, that's a good recommendation. Yeah, uh, I like, what's I that? did not, did not like Molly's game. Um, so, uh, but it, there's so much back and forth on what people do and don't like. Of, I didn't like sports night very much, uh, but people yeah. love sports. So it's just kind of hit and miss with, with old Aaron. Yeah. Um, so my, uh, rules review review this week, uh, Joel Morgan, the hall of fame, second baseman passed away a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and you know, I think for our generation, most people just remember him as the, the broadcaster on ESPN and kind of, uh, kind of, the, the, the website fired Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan, which lampooned him a little bit for being kind of old school in his, in his wisdoms. But I think sometimes we forget he is the greatest second baseman of the integration period of post-integration period. Uh, he, he could do it all. He could hit, he could run, run, hit for power, hit for average. He drew walks. He was a gold glover at second base. He had speed, uh, just really a remarkable ball player. And he played for, I think one of the, one of the best, if not the best, baseball team that ever played uh the 1975 Cincinnati Reds and his passing made me realize that I have never read Joe Posnanski's book about the great uh the, the the big red machine uh his book titled The Machine and so I I went about uh, uh reading that in this month and it is a it is of course as you would expect from Joe Posnanski an outstanding book uh it goes really into detail of the 1975 season 
And we kind of forget that, the you know, we think of the Big Red Machine as kind of like a dynasty, but we forget that in the early 70s, they were kind of known for choking all the time. They lost in the 1970 World Series. They lost in the playoffs to the Pirates. They lost to the uh, in the World Series to the A's. They were kind of the team that always fell, fell short, kind of like the Dodgers the last couple of years. Everyone knew they had a really good team, but they couldn't get over the hump. And then in 1975, uh, they almost lost that series to Boston. Uh, that, that iconic Carlton Fisk home run in Game Six almost um, was there was kind of the nail in the coffin for them. But they, they stormed back and win it in Game Seven and uh, cement their place in history. And so the, the Posnanski's book is a great, uh, a really great read. It's an easy read, um, and it does a great job of kind of weaving through the personalities and also what was going on in the country at the time. Uh, and does a really good job of kind of laying out that story and getting uh, and getting into the clubhouse and letting you know what was going on with the Big Red Machine, which was just a fantastic collection of talent. Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, uh, two of the you know, inner, inner ring Hall of Famers, uh, had it not been for the gambling, obviously, with Pete Rose. Uh, you know, and also George Foster was a tremendous talent. Tony Perez, near Hall of Famer. Dave Concepcion, Cesar Geronimo, just an outstanding collection of players uh, that we may never see again. And so uh, definitely check out Jeff definitely read anything that Joe Posnanski does, but this is in particular is a very good book that I would highly recommend. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, next time you talk to us or next time we talk, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about free agents and the off season, but that'll do it for us for now. Thanks to Sean and Matt for being on the show. Thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey!